Hi, Fanshawe College. This is Ilhan Adin, and I'm the multimedia reporter for the Interrobang. Welcome to the podcast. As with everything else, COVID has forced us to reconfigure everything from the most complex to simplest of tasks. And with the increased time I've had alone, it got me thinking. Kind of a good thing, kind of a bad thing. We shall see. Uh, But it did get me thinking about the masks we regularly wear and how we are willing to keep up with these appearances. So of course, I'm not referring to actual masks, which I also recommend that you wear, please, because science is real, thanks. But I'm more <laughs> speaking about the the masks that we put on, the personas that we put on, the the idea that we have to be someone else outside of ourselves, and how far we're willing to go to keep up with that specific appearance. Now, for such a complex conversation, I brought in the big guns, guys. <laughs> Today, I am joined by the one person helping me make sense of the nonsense, the one and only editor extraordinaire, Angela McGinnis, right? I want to say I made sure I pronounced that correctly. (laughs) (laughs) So for those of you who are unaware, Angela is the editor for the Interrobang, and she is absolutely fantastic. I'll let her speak about herself a little. (laughs) (laughs) Um, There's not much to say, just, you know... In 2018, I graduated from journalism school at Western, and I did not expect um, that it'd be three years later and I would be um, helping to manage uh, the Fanshawe paper during a global pandemic and uh, what looks like the deterioration of civilization as we know it. This is not what I expected, but I followed my gut feeling knowing that media and journalism was important, and here we are. But now my life mostly subsists of either staring at my legs in Mm -hmm. an existential kind of crisis (laughs) and then staring at the news and then the cycle repeats. See, I'm staring at the wall. Instead of the legs, that's me. I'm looking at the wall being like, oh, so we're all going to we're all going to die, guys. And it's going to be at the hands of our own (laughs) stupidity. Fantastic. Oh, good Lord. So speaking of journalism, actually, I would love to get your thoughts on the idea of movement journalism. Now, movement mm-hmm. journalism, for those that are unaware, including myself, because this is something learned and something new I learned, um, but movement journalism is journalism that meets the needs of communities directly affected by injustice. And typically, it's associated with unlearning transactional and extractive practices. Um, and doing away with the myth of objectivity. Now, for those of you that know, I like to write. Not a journalist, at least not yet. <laughs> I am speaking to somebody who has the accreditation of, of, of being an actual journalist, so I would really love to understand what do you, what is your interpretation of movement journalism and do you see that being something as a collective we can embrace? Definitely. Um, I think that this shift has actually been happening, at least um, not in the mainstream, but it has been happening for a number of years. I I mean, it's the reason why I switched my career path from corporate communications into journalism. Um, Movement journalism, you sent me that article for a little bit of background research, and I think it's a response to the traditional journalism that at least pervades in the United States. So what you have to understand is that the United States, um, journalism is about profit and not storytelling because for the most part, all of the media, um, print, online, video, movies, all of the media is conglomerated by what's called the big six companies. And uh, it's a pretty totalitarian reality when you think about it. Mm-hmm. Um, but all of media in the United States, which is obviously a huge, powerful country, its media influences the entire world. Absolutely. Um, is owned by six companies, essentially six people. Uh, we have National Amusements, Disney, Time Warner, Comcast, News Corp, and Sony. And other than uh, Kazuo Hirai, who owns Sony, the rest of those companies, five of them, are white men. Mm. Right? So you're naturally going to have a prioritization for stories that generate what they perceive to be interesting and profitable Mm -hmm. um, over marginalized voices. Mm -hmm. So you have that going on for at least, I think like the 70s all throughout uh, up to the early 2000s, up until the internet 
when you have this sudden democratization mm -hmm. of pretty much everything, mm. um, finances, uh, uh, well, and, and I just mentioned that as, as a side because of what's happening with Wall Street today, which I'm sure we'll talk about later. Oh, absolutely. Um, <laughs> absolutely. But it also led to a more wider spread democratization of news and media. And you started to see kind of from the fringes that are building momentum, these companies, you have Vice, for instance, mm -hmm. which leads to Vox. Mm -hmm. um, you have uh, another example that I really like is All Gas, No Breaks. It's given this wind to independent media. Mm -hmm. uh, so media that's not fueled by these conglomerates, but actually by people like grassroots people mm -hmm. who want to tell these stories of these people who are not being heard. Mm -hmm. Because ideally, ideally, journalism is supposed to be about uh, giving voice to the voiceless mm -hmm. and holding power to account. Mm -hmm. So movement journalism is, I think we finally have a name for this shift yeah. that has been taking place um, at least ever since uh, the internet has become like our lives. And just to reiterate, some of the goals of movement journalism, Angela already touched based on them, are prioritizing stories that amplify the power of a people, just as you were saying, and producing news that is based on the experiences and identities of oppressed people also what you were referencing, and developing shared political analysis between journalists and communities. This part is the part that I'm most interested in understanding because as somebody new entering the world of journalism from this, I guess, awakening, traditional mm -hmm. journalism apparently upholds oppressive and harmful ideologies in regards to, I guess, how you get the information and how you then present the information. Would you say that's a fair assessment for how traditional journalism is? It sounds like it based on the fact that six people basically own it. <laughs> so this is where I go on my little spiel about how much I support CBC here in Canada, which is mm -hmm. publicly funded. Mm -hmm. It's not perfect. It, there are obviously still flaws in the system, but at the very least, um, you know, corporations like the CBC are not beholden to any one human being mm -hmm. who has a media empire. Um, publicly funded broadcasting is just that. It's funded by our tax dollars. So it's beholden literally to the public. And this is why, like, I... I'm, I'm always uh, keeping an eye on certain political movements that want to defund mm -hmm. uh, corporations like the CBC, because actually I have, <laughs> I'm of the camp that believes that publicly funded broadcasting is so, so, so integral to our democracy. Mm -hmm. So now I'm talking about Canada. Mm -hmm. And again, movement journalism, um, based off of the article that you sent me, which I believe was in the Southern States. Yes. And it was written from the perspective of um, young Black women trying to tell yeah. young Black women's stories in that region. Mm -hmm. um, of course, like those stories are very hard to push out because, again, in the States, when you have media conglomeration, you're going to get a funnel. Mm -hmm. um, I, I actually did my capstone on this, which is why I'm so jazzed that you're asking me about this, um, because I find it very fascinating. Uh, as media adjusted to the digital age mm -hmm. um, and newspapers, uh, you know, closed yeah. um, and journalists got fired, what media conglomerates ended up doing, and this does happen here in Canada as well. So like, for instance, CTV is owned by Bell, so that's private. Mm -hmm. um, you end up getting uh, less reporters covering more regions. Um, so there's a fascinating video, which like eventually maybe I can link you to, but mm -hmm. um, there are examples out there of this happening in the States where it's the same story over and over and over mm -hmm. told um, throughout different markets. So you're only getting, you know, you have less journalists to cover more information. So, mm -hmm. of course, that's going to be less and less uh, people being represented. Um, mm -hmm. So, of course, if you look to the media for your information and reflection of the outside world, you're only going to see what you're told, mm -hmm. um, which is, again, why media conglomeration is, in my opinion, pretty dangerous. Mm -hmm. And uh, part of the reason why we're here witnessing at least 
for now it's kind of at bay, mm -hmm. but we just witnessed the rise of the rise of authoritarian fascism in the United States. Yeah. And I think the media had an awful lot to do with that. Absolutely, absolutely. And it's very interesting to see, I haven't, at least my algorithm, this is what I'm saying now, instead of saying what I looked on the internet, what my algorithm is telling me <laughs> is that there's not much conversation surrounding the role of the media behind not only the insurrection, but Trump's presidency as a whole. Everyone mm -hmm. is still blaming everyone else for the, like individual actions, but nobody's talking about emphasis on the role of the media. So I guess my question to you now is, do you see, we see the awakening happening everywhere because of the internet. However, do you see that happening more and more in Canada? Or do you think we're not, we're, we're going to still keep with the, the publicly funded We'll keep that route, I guess. Because even here, just like you're well, saying, CBC has had a lot of, uh, let me say a lot. They've had their fair share of controversies. Oh, they, <laughs> they definitely have. And discrimination is still extremely pervasive. Absolutely. Even in terms, like 100%. Um, it's, it's very difficult for a lot of people to even break into the industry of journalism. Mm -hmm. uh, but that's another conversation for another time. <laughs> uh so I believe that people will only know what they're exposed to. Mm. It's very difficult for people to see beyond what's in front of them. Like, mm -hmm. how can you possibly imagine anything other than what you're given, right? Yeah. So it's really important now more than ever for us to look beyond our own confirmation bias mm -hmm. and for the media to do its part in presenting things that are outside of people's confirmation bias. What's happening now is that people are angry. Mm -hmm. We're in a pandemic. Our economy is bananas. Mm -hmm. Our world is bananas right now. People are frustrated. A lot of people have a lot of time on their hands. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of people don't have much exposure to communities outside of their own. Mm -hmm. So they're only going to look at what they know. Mm -hmm. um, it's their responsibility to go beyond what they know and to listen. Uh, so for instance, in movement journalism, mm -hmm. if someone says, I have a story, I have a perspective, and it's not something that generally the public has heard before, mm -hmm. it's also on the, on the onus of the public to listen to that story. Don't forget, this is communication we're talking about. So mm -hmm. you can tell your story as much as you can, but people need to listen too. It's speaking and listening. But how do you get people to listen, especially in the, I want to say, popcorn era we're in, where everything is fast-paced, quick, I don't want to pay attention. If it takes real cognitive thought, it's boring. How many times I've read, just randomly on Instagram, when somebody puts a thoughtful caption, a meaningful moment in their life, they write down this like dissertation. Everyone's like, I'm not reading that essay. I'm like, bro, it's like five sentences. It's, it's not that serious. But what do you do when no one wants to put in the effort to listen? Unfortunately, I think things just need to get really bad. Mm. <laughs> Worse than they are now. <laughs> and it, oh, but it's starting. Yeah. It's, it's starting like this is a great awakening. I mm -hmm. totally buy that. Um, we are more aware of each other as a human race than we Absolutely. have ever been before and mm -hmm. this is doing something to our society mm -hmm. um it's getting more and more difficult in my opinion to look away Absolutely. Uh, again which is why movement journalism probably is going to be the benchmark of this era when it comes to journalism when mm -hmm. it comes to media um thankfully like the the internet has a light side and a dark side but the light side of the internet is that it does empower these people it does give a lot of people a platform um, again, your question was, how do we get people to listen? How do we get people to care? Um, I, You'd win a Nobel Peace Prize if you could figure that out. <laughs> it's, it's really cynical, but people are just going to have to realize that we're all kind of in the same boat in a lot of ways. Yep. That, that um, my problem is your problem. We have to kind of... Uh, I like to use the word intersectional. We have mm -hmm. to see the overlap of what issues affect us uh, through race, mm -hmm. gender, class, all those things. It's probably going to take a while. Like this is probably going to be like the thing of our lifetime, you and me, is people so. kind of 
breaking down these barriers uh, to see each other as human beings Mm -hmm. um, and to stop categorizing each other as we as humans have a tendency to do, unfortunately. And speaking of human beings' tendencies, going back to what you were saying, like, I absolutely believe the light side is is fantastic of the internet. Just like you're saying, it emboldens people to speak their truths. And a lot of truths have not been told in this world. But speaking of the dark side, what yeah. about the communities that now feel they can congregate because they feel they feel um, at home. They, they have a place. They found their community. They found their people. People that normally would be told that their viewpoints are wrong or bad or are harmful. And because human beings are, are what was the word I'm looking for, social creatures, you eventually are going to adapt your opinion to that of the group. But now on the internet, you can go find that group and now you don't have to change your thought and then the insurrection happened. So <laughs> like, wh- that's the thing I'm worried about. Um, I know you sent me this article actually about Proud Boys. So what was your question again? It was it was what what happens when people kind of do stick to their tribes, right? Yes. Like that's- yeah. Okay, so here's what I kind of predict for what's going to happen. Definitely, it's going to start in 2021 and Mm -hmm. move forward for at least the next decade is that we're beginning, we're going to have to start regulating the internet. Like it Mm. we we have to. Yep. Uh, we we have to start to create laws. And this is where the whole free speech debate comes into play. Mm -hmm. So be it. It's time we had that conversation. but we're, we're going to have to start to talk a lot, honestly, about what constitutes hate speech. Mm-hmm. Um, we're going to have to talk honestly about what racism exactly is mm-hmm. and what our internalized prejudices are that we might not even realize. Mm-hmm. Um, what's happening now is that we're going to have to confront ourselves because this, this whole thing reminds me so much of, obviously, the rise of Nazism in World War II. Mm-hmm. Like... I, it's the most clear example where you're like, there's yeah. such, there's so much parallel between the two. Yeah. Um, and especially like as someone who's a news junkie and interested in media, I'm endlessly fascinated by how propaganda comes into play and mm-hmm. how the internet is used to perpetuate at a very terrifying rate all of this propaganda mm-hmm. um, to a society that honestly, like, we're not ready. This is happening so fast. Mm-hmm. The whole expansion of Um, information and the spread of information. And we as a global society, we're not prepared. We are not media literate. Mm -hmm. We're not media literate. It's Mm -hmm. not even a part of our curriculum in Canada. I think think it's like maybe at least when I was in high school, media literacy was like we touched on it for a day Mm and maybe English class or like if you if you took certain electives. Uh, But media literacy was just not important. And here we are. Mm -hmm. Do you think media literacy then is something that's going to be pushed? Because truthfully, at this stage, I feel like the Canadian education system is up for a change anyway. So media Mm -hmm. literacy is something that I absolutely see being added in. However, once again, it goes back to the idea that somebody else is going to make a decision for somebody else. In the time that we live in, people don't like that. And you Mm -hmm. have to relinquish control and some capacity to be able to live in a collective society. So I'm very concerned people are going to resort back to finding their own communities online and because covid has shown us that hey we can be isolated and still have some semblance of a community people are going to continue down that route like i'm very concerned for our future as a society oh good Mm -hmm. lord (laughs) well i mean for at least like my lifetime i was born 1989 um i grew up having um a profound interest in in the humanities in Mm -hmm. english in in um in in cultural studies things like that but i grew up being told that that was a waste of time to study Mm. like there is something about our capitalist society that really um discourages um anything that doesn't make money Mm -hmm. that isn't profitable like Mm -hmm. i would say kind of capitalism has a lot to blame i i don't know where i stand in terms of like i'm not pro-socialism or communism i'm just saying it as it is like Mm -hmm. i think i think it's safe to say even objectively speaking that capitalism (laughs) is a little fucked like it's (laughs) it's really skewed our social attitudes absolutely and speaking of capitalism what do you what is your take on the whole wall street takedown that is kind of happening right now for those that are yeah i mean like this this is what i mean like this is what i mean like we're gonna see this within it's starting this year 
Mm -hmm. um, and it's probably going to define uh, what's going to happen for at least the next decade. But um, again, we have this, we have this tool, we have this internet. And on the light side, again, we are getting a lot of people kind of coming together and evaluating the system and developing new ideas and agreeing with each other. And I think this Wall Street thing is hilarious. I, I saw really... I've been dying laughing this entire time, but go on. What did you see? Well, I saw a really great meme about like, uh, <laughs> it, it said it was a conversation between rich people and poor people and rich people were saying, well, why don't you just invest your money? And poor people were like, okay. Mm. And rich people were like, wait, stop. <laughs> Basically, that that literally, yeah. for everyone listening, that summarized what's happening right now with Wall Street and Reddit. But for those that are, un are unaware, there is a subreddit on uh, Reddit called uh, Wall Street Bets. And basically, as a community, they collectively said, we're going to pool our money. Once again, listen, you guys know I am no expert at anything. So this is this financial. Yeah, we are not economists. <laughs> <laughs> so this is our interpretation of what's happening. But basically, as a community, they've been able to raise the prices of a certain stock. In this case, GameStop and AMC, I think, is also on the up. Um, and GameStop jumped so quickly that, once again, don't know too much about short selling and whatnot. But people in this in this community are apparently making people lose billions of dollars in hedge funds. And I was like, I don't know any, I don't know how, why, what, huh? But I do know people are pissed. <laughs> and mm -hmm. people on Robinhood, the app that is typically meant to help those that are on the poorer side learn to invest. Oh, is little people. <laughs> yeah. Yes, they're known to be helping the quote unquote little people, hence the name Robinhood. They're an mm -hmm. app that decided that you are no longer allowed to buy GameStop um shares because they're trying to do their part in stopping people from buying it. Don't know why, but I've been hearing theories. Either or, long story short, yeah, people are pissed because billions of dollars are being lost in different hedge funds. And I'm concerned that there's going to be a consorted effort to stop the little guy from ever doing anything like this again. What do you think? <sighs> Done. <laughs> I'm hoping that this is this. I am hoping this is the beginning of the end mm. uh, for what I personally like to call greed culture. Absolutely. That's all. That's all I can say. Like I can only. I'm. I'm not an economist. Mm. I. I have zero interest in stonks. <laughs> <laughs> I've never followed them. Like this. Mm -hmm. You know. I'm. I'm more a human interest journalist than a business journalist. But uh, from the looks of it, like. It's it's all well and good uh, when certain people are profiting, but then all of a sudden, when again the quote unquote little guys use the system against them, mm -hmm. ooh, like then they have a problem. Uh, it's a revolution. I hope uh, revolution might be a bit of a dangerous, dramatic word, but this is a revolution. I'm hoping. I'm I'm wondering um, like what kind of retaliation or adjustments people on Wall Street might make. Well, I'm wondering how this will impact things, but I have a feeling we're all going to start talking a lot more about the stock market in the weeks to come. Absolutely. But one of the things I think they're going to do is literally use whatever power they have over top of these smaller types of um, conglomerates like Robin Hood and flex their power and be like, now nah, we're going to figure something out where you need to not allow mm -hmm. people to have access, basically. And I think the access that the accessibility that's been given because of the Internet is going to now somehow tied into what you were saying before about mandating the internet or regulating the internet, I feel like that regulation is going to somehow tie into taking away some of our freedoms because they're like, we can't get the little guy to, to get to this space again. So I'm concerned, at least that is one of the concerns about the regulation of the internet that I'm like, oh, they might stop us from being able to do things again. But then... Mm -hmm. I look at Europe and I was like, man, they have some really great privacy laws that Canadians need to adapt on our end because they actually give a shit about our data or they in the UK care about their citizens' data enough to protect it, whereas we don't have those laws. So that's one thing I hope people adapt. But I don't know, man, going back to what you said, I just don't think people are smart enough to do this anymore <laughs> because like you said, everybody needs to get to a space where we have to listen to one another. We have mm -hmm. to understand we have to hear people we have to know that we don't live 
by ourselves in a global society, but that's asking people to not be selfish human beings. <laughs> yeah, to, to uh, kind of rethink their priorities, that's for sure. We haven't touched on it yet, but uh, the masks we wear, mm -hmm. again, like, um, if you allow me to segue into, uh, uh, we were going to talk about um, Julie Payette Ooh, mm, and mm. Lynn Payette. <laughs> uh, Julie Payette Lord. was... Um, Governor General, mm -hmm. who has resigned with a, a pretty decent looking um, severance package or whatever you want to call it. Very nice looking yeah, like severance pretty, package. Pretty nice. Like she got away scot, I don't want to say scot-free. Maybe Scot-free. No, she got away scot-free. <laughs> like for, I mean, I'm, I'm busting my balls just trying to be a good person and polite on the LTC and, and this woman gets like hundreds of thousands of dollars for verbally and physically abusing her employees mm. when she's in when she's been appointed this position like she was supposed to be a representative of canada absolutely and that's the thing so Gov that's a off. <laughs> exactly governor general i was looking up because listen guys it's been a while since civics class so i was like what are the actual duties and i was like bruh you're literally just representing canada going to different military bases going to different parties talking to your stuff like you just are a figurehead you know no shade yeah. you have a job kudos to you really but realistically in terms of power, you're kind of a figurehead. Now, yes, you can call in an elec election. That is power. But I'm certain there's also, it's not as easy as like, hey, I want a new election. So we're doing this. But at the end of the day, it's just a fluff position. And this woman let it get to yeah. her head and decided to be a complete asshole, allegedly. A nightmare. <laughs> a nightmare. It's, it's just a point. I mean, I, you know, I, I'd rather have that money that was going to the governor general mm -hmm. go towards media literacy classes. Exactly. Or, or just something, anything. Mm -hmm. Like, God. Speaking um, of the masks yeah. that we wear, just wanted to mention that, funny enough, Trudeau is the one who hired her, right? Yeah. And when initially, because now the reason why she's leaving is because there is an investigation and a lot of people are talking. So mm -hmm. that investigation, to my knowledge, has not been given publicly to everyone yet, but it's on its way and it's it's not very nice. Um, people I are saying- out. I, th I think the redacted- Okay, uh, the redacted one is out, yes. has been released and it is not pretty. And that's when it was revealed that she even, um, I'm not sure in what capacity, but physical abuse. Yes, that's yep. of her employees. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's the, awful. It, and I'm like, I just it her. She described I'm just going to read a quote from her and what we'll discuss. Everyone has the right to a health, healthy and safe work environment at all times and under all circumstances. It appears I hate that word. It appears this was not always yeah. the case at the office of the secretary oh to the governor general. I was like, appears over a hundred people complained about you, bro. Oh, good <sighs> Lord. And I'm just, I, the fact, this is what I was trying to say. So earlier on, Trudeau had said, hey, there's these allegations that she's not so nice. Guys, she's excellent. And then now he backtracks and quietly is like, hey, I'm going to need you to resign. He's still not firing her. He's asking her, can you resign, please? And she's like, you know what? Okay, I'll, I'll leave quietly. And I'm just like, so you both are pretending to, one, care about positive work environments. Because if you were going to uphold, if you were going to stand up for this woman, and say and put your name on the line and say I hired her I think she's excellent an excellent representation of Canada because that's basically her job and then now a few months later you're like ooh, yikes okay you might need to quit so this doesn't look bad for me because I think that's all he's worried about I think his mm -hmm. mask is like uh, how do I save face in this situation what do you think oh yeah one hundo p my favorite quote that's come out of this whole story was um an advisory committee has been tasked with helping to find the new governor general. Um, or sorry, let me let me correct myself. Mm -hmm. When an advisory committee was tasked with helping to find a new governor general back in 2010, so this was a while ago, this advisory committee was reportedly urged to look closely at each candidate's judgment and temperament and to be skeptical of simple celebrity. I, and and obviously that didn't happen. Mm -hmm. it, too much, like it it makes me think of Trump. Like that mm -hmm. might be a little bit of a leap, mm -hmm. but what the hell is going on when bullying is 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 a form of an expression of success? 
what the hell? Why, why is it, why for a while, obviously it's not okay, but we got, we've been getting a lot of messaging in the past, let's say four or five years, Mm -hmm. um, saying that people like bullies, people like narcissists. It's cool. It's a sign that you are successful. If you have a lot of money, if you have a lot of power and you're an asshole. Yep. Where does that come from? I would love to know. I'm not a sociologist. We need to bring a sociologist onto the show. How did we get here? I would love to know. I literally will make an entire series about it. Don't worry. (laughs) Show enough interest, guys. We'll do it. But in all seriousness, yeah, that's actually a very, very important question. How did we get here? And I... Trump is a part of that problem, absolutely. But man, this goes as far back as, coincidentally, World War II. Just, I just feel like history is something that a lot of us need to really, really mm-hmm. unpack so then we can understand, okay, let's not repeat the same mistakes as a collective. Like individually, yeah, we're all going to fuck up. That makes sense. But as a collective, as a community, as a country, can we not make the same mistakes again? I don't know, but it looks like, like you said, narcissism. Everyone loves it. Everyone praises it. I would categorize. So like, this is fucking dark, but I would categorize (laughs) World War II as like the rise of the asshole. And then this, our current generation is the rise of the asshole part two. Yep. Seriously. Mm. Seriously, man. Mm. Like white supremacy. Like how did that happen? How do we have Nazis? I think you I think you asked us in like almost every single podcast, but we, we fucking need to talk about this. We really do. I was raised, um, you know, my I'm Dutch Canadian. Mm-hmm. Uh, my grandparents immigrated after World War II. They were almost starved out by Nazis. I have relatives who were murdered by Nazis. I grew up being told, don't be a Nazi. Yeah. And yeah. I'm sure many people were. How the fuck are we here again how is it that proud boys a group in canada is first off it's not even technically legislation yet but hopefully it will become fully legislation as as stated in the article you said that they're now going to be considered an actual hate group a terrorist group sorry i should say uh the likes similar to the likes of al-qaeda and hezbollah but it's one of those things that how how has it gotten so far how has it gotten so bad excuse me that in 2021, we're just saying, hey, this white supremacist group is a terrorist group. But for all this time, we let them we let them be. We let them congregate. We let them build community. We let them figure out how to use the internet to, to, to find ways to, to speak with one another and plan to the point where on in the state size, they had an insurrection. And it's like, okay, now, now, guys, let's talk about it. I have a theory. Please do. Yes. Great. I want to hear. <laughs> one can only speculate, but I don't think I'm... I, I, it's obviously like, I like to make my information concise. Maybe I oversimplify things. Fine, fine. <laughs> like life is complex. Okay. But I still need to relay information to the masses, right? So yep. here it is. Um, for anyone listening also, um, I don't think we mentioned it. So I'll just contextualize. Um, on Monday, this podcast is recorded on Thursday. On Monday of this week, uh, Jagmeet Singh, Singh of the NDP party, he did successfully convince members of parliament uh, to call on the federal government to declare the Proud Boys a terrorist entity. Yay. Yes. Thank God. <laughs> <laughs> let's call terrorists um, terrorists. Wonderful. I, Actually, yeah, let's call terrorists. Let's call extremists extremists. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I'm hopeful uh, that this action will wake people up to the seriousness of the situation. Mm-hmm. Um, that yes, we do have the rise of um, Nazis part two mm-hmm. in North America. Mm. Like it's here, it's happening. My grandfather always said, don't think it can't happen here. And he was right, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but on the flip side, um, based off of you know the evidence of the past 11, 12 months, mm-hmm. Uh, this is probably going to drive a lot of people in further into denial that this is happening. Um, and here's why I think that. Mm-hmm. Um, 9-11. Mm. Since 9-11, here in North America, uh, people, like a lot of people have been really playing up this narrative of like here in North America, we're this land of, uh, I wrote it down, I prepared for this because I had a whole reflective <laughs> period. But I've seen uh, personally this narrative really evolve of here in um, North America, we're like progressive, white, cr- like clean, Christian, like right thinking. 
Um, and it's us versus like backwards, religiously extremists, like people, others of mm -hmm. the East. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's obviously different um, than like Nazi Germany um, targeting the Jews, mm -hmm. uh, but it's, it's the same shit in a different pile, right? Absolutely. So, Essentially, um, post 9-11 Islamophobia, in my opinion, um, is it's given the rise to what we now see as it's fascist nationalism. Mm -hmm. I think it how I think it it's really developed to that. It's been gradual mm -hmm. and it's been slow, um, just like how probably any fascist fascist movement is. It's mm -hmm. very hard to realize what's going on until it's too late, uh, just like any any kind of social development. Um, we don't notice it happening day by day, but that's why it's so important to sit and to have these conversations, mm -hmm. to read the news, to mm -hmm. talk, um, to reflect on what's going on around us. Um, it's really, uh, what else did I think to myself? Uh, we live in this bubble where we like to think we're the good guys here in the West. Um, but the truth is we are just as susceptible to extremist ideology as any other group in the world. Mm-hmm. Just as susceptible. Because we're all this, human beings. That's that's the I, thing. That's the susceptible part. It's being a human being. <laughs> I equate Proud Boys just as NDP, as just as uh, Jagmeet Singh does, just as a lot of people do. It's it's just as threatening to me as ISIS. Mm -hmm. it, they're a terrorist threat. They yes. are an extremist group. Yep. They're a terrorist threat. That's what it is. Mm -hmm. And it's very difficult for a lot of people here to accept that this has happened, that mm -hmm. we have also done this too. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of people aren't ready to face themselves in the mirror in that way. I absolutely agree. And that's the thing that makes me worried when this is then presented to everyone to vote into legislation or vote into law that there's going to be the constant conversation about like, are they really that bad? There, there is bad on both sides type of rhetoric, right? I'm, I'm very, I'm worried they're going to echo basically the United States because even there, yes, they talk about white nationalism. They talk about white supremacy. They talk about it being literally one of the, if not, if I'm, it's top two, if not number one on the FBI or CIA's list for like the biggest threat in the United States, white nationalism. Uh, almost every single major uh, te domestic terrorist attack in yep. the United States has been by a white supremacist. And yet to this day, people want to yeah. still act like, no, guys, that's of the past. White supremacists aren't, they're not here because they're not walking or around with KKK hoods. 9-11, 9-11, like, mm -hmm. like Al-Qaeda, like they'll, they'll always want to point it mm -hmm. at someone other than themselves. Like Absolutely. again, all social groups have a tendency to other the outsiders. Mm -hmm. We are just the same. Absolutely. And it's one of those things that... In othering, a lot of times it's easy to use nationality, ethnicity, race, something physical that I could say you look different than me, therefore you are different. And with terrorists, just like you're saying, that word is always associated with a specific religion, with a specific mm -hmm. look, with a specific ethnicity. And now mm -hmm. the word is being thrown around in basically everyone's conversation now with what just happened in the States and people don't know how to how to yeah. shift because they're like no 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 this People is not terrorism such a state of denial yes over the fact that literally this group <laughs> attempted a coup Five people died one of them at least one of them has been martyred that woman is now a martyr mm. um how are we any different than all of these groups that apparently uh were better than exactly like, like truly um th th and this this is how fascism happens you mm -hmm. create this narrative this nationalist narrative mm -hmm. that it's us against them the mm -hmm. outsiders it's happening it's here we need to face it for what it is uh so talk about like wearing masks man because like i i think people can't even like confront the reality of what they themselves are capable of uh, oh, ooh, that was a good one. That was a good one, Angela. <laughs> oh, man, that is who has a lot to unpack there. I feel like everyone's going to be like, this is this is a good episode, guys. Lot to lot. Like to I think said, about. it's either I stare at my legs or mm -hmm. I stare at the news. Like, <laughs> And that's the thing. When you're staring at your legs, you're making sense of the news. So I get it. Trust me. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, and lots and lots of therapy. Like for Ooh. anyone out there listening, get therapy. Shout like, out all, therapy. All therapy. We have to work these things out. Like this is this is a, a crazy, crazy world we're in right now. 
absolutely. But in all seriousness, I always believe the biggest change starts from within. So realistically, if you are one of those people that are experiencing 2020 and 2021 as a real awakening, whether it's to the racism happening in the world, to just the world being on fire, or (laughs) the everyday societal problems that probably are going to push us to the edge, um, Mm -hmm. not to quote an Uzi song, but... um, Oh, I lost my train of thought. Oh, yeah, therapy, guys. Great. Work on yourselves. That's what I'm trying to say. (laughs) But yeah, please work on yourselves because that's the best place to start. And ideally, that awakening from within will translate to an awakening around you. Oh, man. Be responsible for your own energy. Absolutely. Only responsible for yourself. That's the best you can do. Be the change. Oh my God. Right? It's literally like be the change you want to see. All these corny quotes that we all know, but it's realistically the truth. Just apply it. (laughs) Oh man. But yes, I want to talk about quick thing before we wrap this up. Um, Let's talk about COVID around this world. Actually, that's a lie. Let's talk about Lynn Bayak because I cannot have this conversation without talking about her. Going back to masks we wear and terrible human beings doing things that they should not do. Lynn Uh, Bayak. Lynn Mayock, she's a Canadian senator. Um, uh, I, I believe it, she's resigned. Yes. Quote unquote as well. Mm-hmm. Probably I'd be interested to know what her um, termination package is looking like too. Well, speaking uh, of that, she did met, she get, she's entitled because she resigned uh, rather than getting fired to her pension. And that is why a lot of people think she resigned because it was getting really hot for her. In other words, the the heat was coming. The, the people don't really like her and for valid reason, which we'll get into. But yeah, no, she gets her pension and people are pissed because they're like, oh, so you're a racist piece of shit and you still get a yeah. pension from the government? Fantastic. Yeah. So the context that, for that, again, uh, this is also very, very important that anyone who's listening mm-hmm. is aware of this, if they're not already. Uh, but she's a Canadian senator, a Canadian politician who um, has repeatedly and openly denied uh, the brutal reality beyond uh, Canada's residential schools. Um, like the mo- one of the most noteworthy quotes that she's made is that uh, Canadians must also acknowledge the good as well as the bad yep. of residential schools, which um, no. And for all of those that are listening, even though I, I, I wish more people knew, but, you know, Canadian education, residential yeah. schools um, is a school system that was specifically made for Indigenous people here in Canada, funded by the government. And it was a school system with the sole purpose of removing Indigenous children from their influence of the from the, the influence of their own culture and assimilating them into the dominant Canadian culture. And it was an experience riddled with sexual, physical, emotional abuse that it took. This happened Oh, I should look up exactly when it happened, but it, it at least I think the last one closed in like the early ninety eight. Yeah, I was like, like I, no, the earlier mid. I think ninety six. I'm gonna double check so. the exact time frame, but long story short, Stephen Harper, the same man that hired Lynn, um, mm-hmm. is the one who apologized in two thousand eight for residential schools, and this shit started way back in the day. Hi guys, this is Ilhan from the future. While I'm editing, I just wanted to integrate that. Residential schools started in the 1820s, but the framework for them started in the 1600s. And just as Angela mentioned, the last one did close in 1996. That just goes to show, guys, research before the pod. She was with the Conservative Caucus, and her views were so racist that they took her off the Conservative Caucus and said, you know what, be an be an independent senator. And I found that fact interesting because I'm like, if you can recognize the racism because the general consensus of the the conservative caucus was that we can't have her say these things. So if you know that they're, you recognize they're racist, you recognize they're hateful, you recognize that they're not beneficial to your party in any way, shape or form, why is she allowed to be an independent senator? Why is she allowed to still hold a position on the Canadian government where you, when you clearly see her views are not aligned with any party? And it's not about how you spend money or being fiscally responsible. It's literally about just racism. That's the thing that I never understood. But... That's neither here nor there. There's a lot to unpack about this woman, but go on. Totally. Well, I'll leave it. I'll just put it here. Um, uh, you know, this this whole podcast's theme is um, uh, when people show you who who they are, do you believe them? That's that's one mm-hmm. of the prep questions you had for me, and I thought about it. And no, I don't. And I I I do trust people who demonstrate 
that they share the same values as me. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's that's te- that's typically how anyone trusts anybody. So mm-hmm. there you go. Um, but you know, the thing about this pandemic that's been really painful for a lot of us is that we've come to realize there are a lot of people uh, whose values differ from our own, mm-hmm. who are in society, who mm-hmm. have roles of power. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's there's nothing we can. I feel I feel powerless. I feel helpless about the fact that there are people who. Um, we're entrusting in in our democracy to mm-hmm. represent us as Canadians, to create these policies and so forth, whose values differ from what I thought we were supposed to stand for as Canadians. Mm-hmm. Um, it's that it's been a rude awakening in that sense. So I I tend to it's really hard to trust people, isn't it? Absolutely, it is. And just going back <laughs> yeah. to what you were saying about the masks, it's. I believe people when they show me who they are and that typically ends up happening in stressful situations and I know Mm -hmm. it's not fair to judge someone in a stressful time because sometimes people just react but I'm starting to look at you in those stressful moments. I'm starting to analyze your behavior when things don't go your way, when things aren't okay because that is when a lot of your true self comes forward and speaking of true selves coming forward, I don't know if you saw this, but Lynn, as she because she wrote a letter um, for her resignation, she doubled back. She apologized for the comments that she made about resi- uh, seeing the positive side about residential schools. She apologized only to get back on Senate because the first thing in her resignation letter was like, guys, I take back my apology. I'm like, excuse me? <laughs> she's like, no, I still think now she's taking back her apology, adding in the the free speech conversation and saying we still really need to look at both sides. And I'm like, wow, so you literally just lied to get back onto Senate. In addition to that, the, I, I literally went on a deep dive, Angela, about this woman because I was floored at the information available. This woman also, after she made those comments that were posted on a publicly funded website, she... She was forced to do the wonderful training, the, you know, those diversity trainings that they, they make people mm-hmm. do where you sit down and be like, let's talk about why you're racist, but not really. And just sign this paper and you're fine. She failed. <laughs> she failed the first one. They literally were like, this woman's not changing. And then they got new people to come in to quote unquote teach her the lesson. And she passed that one with flying colors and was back on Senate. And I'm like, I just don't understand why. Why is this woman even allowed to be here? Why did she jump through so? Why was she given, excuse me, so many chances to jump through every hoop to remain in her position to then leave when she wants to and receive a pension? Yeah, yeah. Same with uh, Pat. Mm-hmm. Makes you makes you wonder about the vetting process. It mm. really. That's all I can say. Mm-hmm. It's makes like you who. Wonder. And then it, who makes these decisions? Stephen Harper and Trudeau. And now everyone's looking at them sideways wondering, you guys clearly don't make good decisions, do you? Mm-hmm. Mm. Mm. Mm-hmm. Trudeau's definitely not like his father. But you know what? That's a conversation for another day. <laughs> oh, man. I have like five stories about COVID that I'm like, let's just run by because people are wild in these streets, guys. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if you heard in the Netherlands. I, I don't know why I thought this fact was so funny. But the Netherlands are burning bikes because there's a curfew that is is set similar to Quebec. We're from, I think it was uh, 9 p.m. to 4.30 a.m. They're not allowed to be outside for COVID-related reasons. And people are pissed because they've never put in a curfew since World War II. So people yep. are like, this is fascism. Oh, my God. And I'm like, uh, no. nope. This is not, this is not, <laughs> not, not really. Um yeah, I was I, I looked into that, too. And uh, yeah, they I think all week these riots have just been preposterous. Yep. Um, they've someone has burnt down a, a coronavirus testing facility mm-hmm. in one of the villages. Um, the chant has been along the lines of, quote, freedom, not slavery. <laughs> Um, which makes me wonder, like, do you actually know what slavery looks like? Evidently, no. <laughs> um, and then the last thing that I thought was troubling uh, that really raised, I'm just so fucking disturbed by this. But of course, uh, there's been a lot of um, anti-Semitic sloganing mm-hmm. as well. Yes. With uh, these riots. So that's fucked up and disappointing. And it goes back to the rise of of the right wing and white supremacy and nationalism. And it's far it's far more reaching than just the states in Canada. This is a global global issue. So 
it's been just like you're saying before, uh, noticeable in the last, I want to say five, six years, but it's rearing its head right now that I hope we're, I hope we're at that awakening cusp that you're referring to where it's like, things have to change now because they're as bad as they're going to get. Like, I'm just hoping that now it, now we see what's going on, we'll be able to tackle it. That's Mm -hmm. my one, um, like hope for this, like, that's the one silver lining. Mm -hmm. Like you're not able to cure the illness if you can't, if you can't detect it. So obviously here it is, here's what's going on in the world. Um, let's, I, let's call it out for what it is. Um, and try to fix it. Mm. Hopefully it feel it, it definitely, it's overwhelming. Mm-hmm. Like again, like us, us young people, like, or, or like I'll, by young people, I mean, um, like those of us who are still starting out in their careers, who are mm-hmm. still kind of establishing ourselves. Like it's a very unstable world for us to try to get our footing in. It's very frustrating. It's uh, the instability or mm-hmm. instability, I should say, sorry. Instability is absolutely, I feel like the word of 2021. The unpredictability, <laughs> the unpredictability of it all. Like mm-hmm. uh, this is not, again, like this, when I was, I, I, certainly, I said this at the beginning of the podcast, but like, and I'm sure many people feel this way, but when I went to journalism school, I was just like, oh, I'll do, I'll just cover like community news and la, 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 la. And like, now we're on the verge of God knows what kind mm-hmm. of revolution. In the, mm. like a global revolution. I don't want to say WW3 because I don't know how things are going to play out. And I think it's very important for us all to be careful not to speculate. Absolutely. Like avoid, avoid speculation, deal with the facts. That's how misinformation is often spread. Mm-hmm. Deal with what's in front of you and what you do know. Mm-hmm. Um, look at what the experts are saying. <laughs> look at what the <laughs> experts are saying. <laughs> Thank you. Please. Oh, good Lord. Please. An expert, um, just quick thing, expert somebody, just just so people know, an expert isn't somebody who's just good at something or somebody who's done something so long. An expert is someone who understands their craft so well they can add innovation to it. So they someone really... Someone experience mm-hmm. and credentials. Exactly. Credentials, people. <laughs> Legitimate Jeez. credentials. Oh, my God. Um, but yes, go on. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Google search is not enough. Mm. You're, not a, you're not a political scientist mm-hmm. by just Googling something. Also, um, Google fills in. I don't know if you know this with the auto search. Uh, Google fills yeah. in based on what your algorithm is, like based on based what you typically search. So if you yep. and I do the same question, we'll get two different answers. Yep. Oh, entirely, entirely. And that's, yeah, I, uh, that, I, that's my point right there. This is a very <laughs> unstable and predictable world that we are in. So oh, therapy man. and a day at a time. <laughs> exactly. Therapy and a day at a time and some mm-hmm. drugs and alcohol, you know. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm going to say tune in next week to see how hopeful Angela is because I know she's hopeful for change. But yeah, we'll see how hopeful Always. she is when we do a deep dive next week of uh, what's happening in the news. Remember mm-hmm. to catch us on Google Play, Apple Music, and Spotify. And please, guys, read the Interabang. We work really hard on it. <laughs> Where can they find the Interabang, Angela? Give them, give them the deets. Oh, well, we are, we're still printing. We're still printing physical copies, by the way. So anyone who comes to camp to the campus, uh, the interrobang that you see in the red boxes is the most recent issue. Um, yay, printed, <laughs> printed, recyclable paper, printed a tangible thing. Don't Ooh. stare at a screen. Look at a page. Yes. Um, uh, obviously, you can also find us digitally, uh, theinterrobang.ca. Uh, we do have Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, all that. Um, we're also distributing on Western campus in the UCC right now. So that was much better than anything I've described <laughs> about the interrobang, which is why Angela is the editor and I'm just a reporter, guys. So on that note, thanks for listening. Wear a mask. Experts are real. You're great. Kind of, sort of. Love you all. 